Hey, uh, we're kicking off a new series today. I'm excited about it, okay? We're going to take the summer, we're going to go through the book of Acts, okay? We're going to go through the book of Acts. And uh, uh, as we go through this book, man, we're going to dive into a lot of different things. It's not just going to hit one topic, but you're going to see the one thing that stays the same through the book of Acts is Jesus Christ. He is all through this book. Uh, We talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, but you, as you study this, you see that Jesus Christ, God the Son, is all through this book. Yeah. And so uh, we're going to be studying this. I'm looking forward to this study. Um, we put together a reading plan. This series is just going to be called Church on the Move, okay? Church on the Move. Because how many know we're a church on the move? Yeah. We're, we're, we're definitely not a dead, dying church. Right. We're a church on the move. And uh, we do a lot of things, have a lot of activities uh, uh, carry forward the purpose of plans of God here in our in our community, and so looking forward to that. Um, but we're, we're we're a church on the move, and um, and and there's purpose to the movement. That that's the main thing. How many know that you can have action and have activity, but have no purpose? And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that in previous years of my ministry, especially when I first started out, thinking that more activity meant we're doing better, we're doing more things, we're reaching more people. Well, you can have more activity and still not reach a cow in the pasture. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'm just shooting straight with you. No bull here, right? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) And so more activity does not mean uh, more things are happening. (laughs) It just means your people are tired. (laughs) That's what it means. And, man, for the first few years of my ministry when I was passionate as a pulpit, I wore our people smooth out. We were a church of about 200, 250 people operating like a church of 5,000. That was crazy. I was, I'm glad they told me hit the road. And so, no, they didn't. They did But, uh, and so over, over the years, but we, we want to make sure that when we move, there's purpose to our movement. We're not just moving for the sake of activity or for the sake of doing something, but there's purpose in what we do. Amen. And so we're going to be going through this here this summer. Craig, can I have your help right here? What we've put together is a reading plan, okay? And we're going to be reading through. Now, you're going to see Luke on this as well, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Jim, can I have your help? I feel like a character on the Game of Thrones up here. But... But if you haven't received one of these, uh, we, we want everyone to have one. I will tell you exactly where ours is at our home. It's on our refrigerator. Because you know how many times we go to that refrigerator every day? A lot. You know how many times we're going to be reminded to read our word? A lot. And so take this and you put this in your Bible. Now, if you don't pick up your Bible from Sunday to Sunday, don't put it in your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it right there and I'll look at it next week. It'll still be right. <laughs> put it, uh, put it in your refrigerator. Put it in your bathroom mirror. Put it somewhere. Put, <laughs> uh, put it in your car, but don't read while you're driving your car. Uh, but uh, just as we're going to go through this, and I'm going to explain to you why Luke is here in this reading plan as well. Again, this is going to take us through the whole, whole series. Amen. Greg and Jim, those guys are doing an incredible job. Come on, put your hands together for them. Amen. 
This morning, here's what I want to do, okay? This morning in this service today, we're we're going to launch this series, and we're just going to kind of set some background, and we're we're just going to set the stage today, okay? I want you to know what you're reading, why you're reading it, and, and how to read this. And so we're going to set the stage here today as we go through this, this, this first message of this series. Now, I, this morning what I want to do is I just, I just want to have a heart-to-heart, okay? I just want to have a heart-to-heart with, with us here. Um, the first question is, do we really believe what we're studying? Do we really believe what we're studying? Are we really willing to center our lives, to order our lives around that book called the Word of God. And even more than that, are we willing to center our church around that book called the Word of God? Are we willing to center our lives, and are we willing to center or to order our church around that book called the Word of God? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of people, they enjoy coming to church, they love coming to church, it's a great feeling, it's a great emotion, it's a great thing to get to meet other people, but when we get home, you know, and we start trying to order our lives around this book, well, I'm going to pick and choose and take what I want. Come on, somebody. Well, this book's not that way. This book's like a good game of poker, you're all in. Come on, somebody. I can't believe you used that term up behind the pulpit. But God said, if, if you want to experience what I want to do in your life, I need you all in. I need you all in. It's like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. You're not like, oh, I, I might be about 50% pregnant. No, you're either there or you're not. Right? And so what I want us to start, I want us to start with this right here. Kevin, go to that next screen. I want us to start with that right there. <laughs> and you're looking at that going, there's nothing on there, Jared. Well, I understand. I want to start with a blank page, blank page, a bank page, a blank page. I I want you to imagine a totally blank slate. I want you to imagine a people called Elm Grove Community Church, and when most people were here, we're between 100 and 150 strong, okay? Now, I want you just to imagine that there's nothing else attached to this group of people. There's no building, there's no beautiful sanctuary, there's no Wednesday night powerhouse kids, there's no, come on, people are getting excited now, oh yeah! (laughs) There's no youth ministry, there's no programs, there's no community groups, just 100 people who call themselves Elm Grove Community Church, which that's really what the church is, uh, the the people. And imagine this group of people, 100 people, living in a world of sin, a world of rebellion, a world of suffering, a world of pain. A world where over two, excuse me, over three billion people live on less than two dollars a day. A world where one billion of that three billion live in absolute poverty and are good to eat maybe one to two meals a week. Today they're living in absolute poverty, slums. Hundreds of thousands of them are dying of hunger right now as we speak. I want, you, I want you to just imagine this. I want you to imagine billions of people who are engrossed in false religion. Over a billion and a half people who have never heard the gospel one time. And have never had access and never will have access if things keep going to the gospel. 
Another two billion have very limited access to the gospel. And if this book is true, then that means that there is going to be eternal suffering for billions of people. So you know, and I know, we all know, 100 of us know, that Jesus has come. He's come to die on a cross for and save us from our sins. He's risen from the grave. He's given us hope. We don't have to fear anything upon this world because we know that when we die, we're going to go be with him. 50 trillion years from now, we will still be with him, and we're just getting started. So here we are, 100 of us. We've been charged to get the gospel to this earth. That's why we're here. That's, that's why when we, weren't, when, we, when, when we got saved, we weren't taken up immediately. You know? If, if God wanted this thing done on his term, the moment you said, Jesus, come into my heart, man, if I was him, I would have taken you home right then, not giving you a chance to mess up. That's why when Jenny said, yes, I'll marry you, we got married right then. I don't trust my, I'm not giving myself a chance to mess up. I'm making a lifelong commitment to you, honey. You're harder than anything I've ever dated. Right? And so, but that's, that's why we're here. He's left us here for a reason. And that reason is to get this gospel to the ends of the earth. So here's the question. <coughs> we have this blank slate. 100 people with the Spirit of God in us, in a world of massive need, and we're charged to get this gospel to the end of the earth. If we had a blank slate to carry out this charge, if we are 100 people meeting in this cow pasture, take away all this, take away all the programs, we just come together this morning, and we say, okay, we've got a gospel, and we've got a world that's in need of it. What are we going to do? Where are we going to start? I just want you to think about that for a second. Would we pull together all of our resources to try to build a $20, $25 million sanctuary? Got quiet in this Pentecostal church. Would we find a way to get together so that we can have the best music because that's our, that's our best thing. We want to have the greatest music and we want to have the greatest staff and we want to have a staff and a church that will cater to, to our families and to our kids and to our, our, our loved ones. And we, we, we spend all this energy, time, and resources creating a situation that is most comfortable for us, most entertaining to us, and most pleasing to us. Would that be our strategy? getting quiet in here isn't it would that be the strategy because as you look around in the American church today that seems to be the strategy that seems to be the strategy now listen as pastor said we don't apologize for what God's doing here we don't apologize for the way God's blessed this, this, this place and the facility he's blessed us with but when I come here, and the first time I ever met with Pastor, here's what he said to me, and it's stuck with me ever since. If we didn't have the Spirit of God in here, this is just a real fancy hay barn. Right. That's all it is. Right. All. And people walk through these doors, and they look, and they see, and they go, man, this place is beautiful. That's awesome. It's not about this place. Right. It's about you. It's about me. We are the church. Right. And we've right. been charged to take this life-changing message to the ends of this world. 
And we've got to start right here in Chester and in Sealing, America. We start right here. Come on, if you're on board, say amen. amen. All right, all right. If you're not on board, look at your neighbor and say, I'm wrong. I don't think that's the way we would look at it. I don't think we would look at it like we're, we're just going to do things for us. Let's find a way for us to gather together in one place and make it about that one service. Listen, we're not about one service. The reality is we have to get out of here and out there. That's the reality. We're not about one service on Sunday morning. Okay? If it's about one service on Sunday morning, if it's, about, if it's just about this, we have missed the mark. It's about us getting out of here and getting out there. The reality is we have to get out there. We've been charged to get out there, to scatter. Because, listen, they're not coming. I'm just going to be real with you today. We are raised in a culture, in a society, and in a nation. They're not coming. They're not beating the doors down to get to church. They're not coming. There are a million options. My dad told me, Jared, as long as you have an option, that option will win every time. We have a million options today of what to do. They're not coming. That means we got to go back and say, okay, where, are, where have we missed it? We've missed it because Jesus didn't say open the door and let them in. He said go and bring them in. That's what he said. He said, go and bring them in. Raise your right hand. Come on, everybody, raise your right hand. I still love, love. Pastor Jared. All right, good. We have to scatter. We have to scatter. Now, as we scatter, we're going to need each other. We can't do this alone. We're going to need each other. We're going to need to gather together. We're going to need a place where we can get together and we can encourage one another. We can share life together. Where we can care for each other's kids. Where we can build up each other's marriages. We can maximize the singlehood of those who are single in this house. We have to care. We have to care for our widows. We've got to take care of our orphans. We have to be obedient to the word of God. We want to equip one another to go into the world. Okay, that, that's what, I, I think that's, that's more the way that we would think if we had this blank slate. We're coming together, not in a facility, not in a building, not in a beautiful setting. We're coming together because we believe that this gospel can change this community. Hallelujah. It can change this city. Yes. And in all, it can change the world. Yes. Amen? Yes. So grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts. That was a great introduction. Aren't you glad you came to church? Yes. As we go to the book of Acts, we're going to study the early history of the first Christians. And, and here's how we're going to study it. We're going to study it like soldiers. Okay? Like soldiers. Uh, soldiers and scholars seem to be the one, go ahead and throw that slide up there, seem to be the one who study history most. Soldiers and scholars. Scholars want to look at what people used to do. Soldiers want to see what remains to be done. Those who are scholars study history for information. Those who are soldiers study history for the sake of mission. Okay? And as we come into the history of the early church, we're not just looking at what God used to do. We're going to be looking at what God still wants to do in 2019 in Chester and Sealing and our communities around us. 
We're going to be seeing what God still wants to do. A soldier marches forward so that those people behind him can have life. Oh, come on. And we march forward with this gospel so the people coming behind us and the people that we meet every day and the people that we pass by and the people that we work with and the people that we love and the people who are in our line of thinking, that those people can have life. We march forward because we believe there is life in what we're carrying. Come on. Now, it all begins right here in Acts chapter 1. If you ever wondered how Christianity starts, how churches come into existence, why in the world is Elm Grove church, Community Church even here? It's right here in Acts chapter 1. And we'll start with Jesus' life in Acts 1, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see this. I want you to see that it's all about Jesus. In fact, the first 11 verses of the book of Acts all mention Jesus. There is no Christianity without Christ. How many know that? There's no Christianity without Christ. So this is how it all begins. It's, Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, that, uh, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, when Luke says in his former book, he's talking about the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay? Luke is the prequel to Acts. Acts is the sequel. In the book of Luke, it tells us that Jesus gave us his life. In Acts, it tells us that Jesus gave us his power to live that life. Okay? And so we have the same author. And he's writing us to tell us the history of Jesus and then also the history of of Jesus' people, the first church. And he tells us that back in Luke, he recorded for us all that Jesus began to do and began to teach. Okay, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So that's Jesus' works and his words. This is very important. This is called a holy knot. Go ahead and throw that next slide up there. This is a holy knot. Some people really like Jesus' works. Some people, when they think about Jesus, oh, how he's feeding the hungry, he's giving sight to the blind, he's playing with the children, he's caring for the elderly. We love that Jesus. We love what Jesus does. But where some have resistance is not so much the works of Jesus, but the words of Jesus. Because when Jesus says, I'm God, I'm Savior, I'm Creator, I am the judge of the living and the dead. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father. Let's first say, come through me. Okay? I didn't, I'm sure he probably didn't say it like that. But you know what I'm saying. Jesus, his words, they, 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 get, they get stopped at his words. Because the controversy isn't over the works of Christ. The controversy is over the words of Christ. Don't just look to his works. Listen to his words. Who he says he is is why he ultimately died. He didn't die because of the things he did. He was put to death because of the things he proclaimed to be. They, he was proclaiming to be God, and they didn't like that. And so he's saying here these two go together in one knot. When it comes to Jesus' works, his sinless life, his death in our place, his burial in the grave, his resurrection, and victory over sin that constitutes uh, the heart of his works. 
And then when he tells us that we can turn from sin, we can trust in him, that there's forgiveness of our sin, that in him there's eternal life, that's when his words and his works come together. Because as we believe his words, we get to experience his works. Are we still hanging with me? Okay? As we believe his words, we get to experience his works. Here Luke tells us to listen to what Jesus says, his words, and to watch what he did, his works. And the most important work that Jesus did was his resurrection from the dead. He claims, all of these claims confirmed, was confirmed through his resurrection. How I many don't? No one beats death. No one beats death. The Bible itself says it is appointed once unto a man to die. No one beats death. But Jesus did. Jesus did. This isn't the Easter sermon, but it's about to turn there. He died and was buried and he rose. And he tells us that, there, that he appeared for how many days? He appeared for 40 days, and he says he offered many convincing proofs. He went and had breakfast with people. Jesus, wouldn't, wouldn't that be crazy? You're sitting there fixing an omelet, and Jesus shows up and says, hey, you got some for me? No pork, please. You'll get it. But it says he offered many convincing proofs. He showed up. He ate breakfast. I mean, you're, you're there. A guy dies. You go to his gravesite to leave flowers, and you realize his gravesite is open. He's not there. Where is he? What happened? Oh, he's in town having breakfast at the cafe. <laughs> what? He's in town having breakfast. No, no, no. I saw him die. I saw them put his body in that tomb. That tomb is now open. What have they done? Oh, he's in town eating breakfast. He's got omelet. He's in there with Simon Peter. Are you kidding me? And then they go to, it says that he offered many convincing proofs. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see that people walked up to him, and when they walked up to him, they saw him, and and they put their hands in his side, and they put their hands in his nail scars, and they realized, oh, my goodness, you are the son of the living God. You're alive. we got to tell everybody, put on Facebook right now. He's alive. And so... (laughs) He offered many convincing proofs. He hung out for 40 days. People came up and literally hugged him physically because they wanted to see for themselves that he had resurrected from death. It's why his tomb, think about this, it's why his tomb was never enshrined. People would enshrine a tomb to go visit someone that they loved or memorialized. People don't go to Jesus' tomb. Why? Because <laughs> he's not there. You're, you're looking, it's like looking at a closet in my house. Nothing's in there, good. He's not there. He's not there. Right. Now, tell me a little bit about this author, okay? Everybody still hanging with me? Yes. All right, let's talk about author. Luke, Luke was a doctor. It says that in Colossians chapter 4. This is Dr. Luke. How many have heard that Christianity is for poor people? Anyone ever heard that? I've heard that many, many times. I've heard Christianity is for poor people and uneducated people. Anyone else ever heard that? A few of us? All right. Yeah. I've, I've, I've heard that in my life. Uh, that's not true. Luke is a doctor. Luke is an affluent person in his community. I don't know about you. I haven't seen a whole lot of poor doctors. I'm not saying they're all loaded and stuff like that, but I'm just saying, you know, they get by with a little help from their friends. Come on, somebody. 
that little Joe Cocker out there. And Luke, he's not uneducated. Luke is very well educated. In fact, scholars, they, 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 they tell you that the book of Luke and the book of Acts is written very formally. He's a very articulate man. He's very formally trained. But as you read through the early leaders in church history, you're going to see some are poor, some are rich, some are educated, and some are edu- uneducated. Why? Because Jesus died for all people. He died for all people. Now, Dr. Luke, he's an amazing man. He was not an eyewitness to the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, but he was more like an investigative reporter. He's more like a historian. He was kind of like Indiana Jones. If you're here this morning, you don't know who Indiana Jones is, Google it if you're that young. He was a guy who would go out and he would investigate. He would go talk to those who knew Jesus. He'd go talk to those who grew up with Jesus. He'd go talk to the family members. All those who are still alive that hung around with Jesus, he'd go talk to them. He'd go to places that Paul preached and Peter preached and, and where their churches assembled, and he would talk to them. He'd do investigative reporting. He'd try to collect stories and amass this life of Jesus into the book of Luke and his power into the book of Acts. Now, I want you to hang with me because Luke's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. He himself's only mentioned three times, but he was very, very close friends with Paul. Luke was. As we read together the book of Acts, you're going to see certain passages where Paul says, we went here, we did this, we did that. And you wonder, well, I know Paul was, who's the we? Well, the we is Dr. Luke. Luke was a close friend of Paul, and Luke is a traveling companion of Paul. He's friends of Paul. And so he's traveling with Paul, and he's seeing what's, what's happening. He's recording what's happening. Now, as he's traveling with Paul, he's seeing what's happening. He's recording that for the book of Acts. But then he goes back and does the investigative reporting of Jesus' life, and that's the book of Luke. Everybody hanging with me so far? All right. We're going to get there. I promise. We're, we're, we're about to buck, snort, spit, and shout here in just a second, okay? There is a record of Luke outside of the Bible in church history. And it says this. It was written about a, a close to 100 years after he died. And it says that Luke was an Antiochian Syrian, a doctor by profession, a disciple of the apostles. He followed Paul until his martyrdom. So Luke died for Jesus. It says he served the Lord blamelessly, faithfully, and was a godly man. He never had a wife. He never fathered children. And he died at the age of 84. Check out this. Full of the Holy Spirit. Man, I wish they would write that on my gravestone. Here lies a man. Man... He does, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. That, 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 that's the way I want to go out, right there. That's the way I want to go out. However long Jesus plans to leave me on this earth, when I go out, I want them to say, man, he went out full of the Holy Spirit and fried chicken, right? Okay. He went out full of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that's the record of Luke. And I, but I, I need you to get this. That Christianity is not philosophy. There are certain religion systems, certain religious systems, like Buddhism, that's not based on a founder, but based upon a system of ideas. There are other religions that are based upon a place, a holy location that you have to travel for. The center of Christianity is not philosophy, and it's not location, it's not a place. The center of Christianity is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
And we get to know this living person. If you take, take out Jesus out of Christianity, Christianity ceases to exist. If Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. Then why in the world is Christianity alive in this world today? Because Jesus is still alive. He's still alive. Why is Christianity the fastest growing religion in China right now where millions and millions and millions are meeting underground at the sake of their own life as we speak this morning? Why is that? Because our founder and our God and our Lord and our Savior and the one who says, if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. That guy is still alive and well and he's preparing to come back to get each and every one of us as we speak. Yes. Told you we're going to get there. We're going to get there. And so that's the record of Luke. He continues in the book of Acts. Okay, in, in Luke, he's writing about the life of Jesus. Okay, in the gospel of Luke, he's writing about the life of Jesus because ultimately this whole thing is all about Jesus. But then he continues in the book of Acts showing the implications of his resurrection and what living through Jesus does, and what Jesus does through his people. And so he begins by telling us about Jesus' life. Go to verse 4, as he transitions into Jesus' power. He talked about the words and the works, the life, and now in verse 4 and 5, we're going to talk about the power. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 1.8, everybody knows this, if you attend a Pentecostal church, you will receive what? When what? Has what? And you will be what? Witness, yeah. In where? And, and, and. Yeah, hey, we're all Pentecostal in this place. Before we learn John 3.16, we learn Acts 1.8, right? When you come to a Pentecostal church, that's what we know. Jesus' life and power, check it, are not just to be admired. They're to be experienced. A non-Christian can look at Jesus' life and Jesus' power and admire it. But a Christian can look at his life and power and experience it. Woo! I don't know how loud this thing would go, so I'm not going to yell. But oh my goodness, if that don't get your blood going. Only a Christian can experience the life and the power. Jesus does not want you to admire him. He wants you to experience him. Oh, come on, somebody. So after Jesus rises from the dead, everybody's excited. Well, what do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? We wait. We wait. What? Wait? We wait. Because the Christian life cannot be lived without a part of of Christ's power. Let me say that again. The Christian life cannot be lived apart from Christ's power. You wait. So we read in Acts 1-1, in my former book. Now, how many of you are from a Pentecostal charismatic background? You grew up in this thing. I grew up in this thing, Okay. Um, all, all my life, okay? I used to be able to, when I was little, I remember being under the pews when church was going on, especially altar calls, and just laying down in the pews, and I could tell who was who by the ankles. 
I could look at ankles. And I was an ankle investigator like Dr. Luke. I tell you, that's Sister Donna right there. That's Donna's ankles. And we had a lady named Daisy. Daisy always sat up over here. And that's Sister Daisy. I can tell by her ankles. And I can tell by her ankles. And I can tell by her socks. And she ain't wearing none. <laughs> you know? And so I, I, I grew up in this thing. And, and when we come from a Pentecostal background, I, I know what you want. Uh, what tends to happen is when you go to a Pentecostal charismatic church, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start right here in the book of Acts. And you just get people excited. Oh, Jesus wants to give us power. Come on, there's power, power, wonder work and power. And we sing that song. We sing about the blood of the Lamb, but we think about the Holy Spirit, right? There's power, there's power. And we think, oh, there's power. And everybody talking about power. And we're like Tim the Tool Man Taylor in church. We need more power. Right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You don't get that, you're too young. Google it. But Luke just told us where we start our study. Our study is not in Acts. Our study is in the former book. In the former book. If you want to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, you don't start in Acts, you start in Luke. Luke sets up Acts. And actually, a lot of scholars believe that they were one book. Luke and Acts, written by the same guy. But they were divided into two parts. And Luke starts off Acts by saying, hey, 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 that former book I wrote, don't forget it. These two go together. Read that one first. Get all this in order here. So let's follow the author's instructions. Luke says, don't forget my former book, Theo. Theophilus, remember? (laughs) But we're Oklahoma. We call him Theo. Uh, Who are we kidding? We call him T, right? Don't forget my former book, okay? And then Jesus tells us you will receive what? Power. Now, there was a Swedish chemist many years ago and he was working and he discovered a very powerful substance. And so he had to call it something because he discovered it. And so he called a friend of his that was a Greek scholar and he asked him, he said, what's the Greek word for power? And that Greek scholar who was a friend told him it's the word dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. Well, what is that? Well, it's where we in America, in our English uh, language, we get our translation of dynamite. Dynamite. Dynamite comes from the biblical word Holy Spirit. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Bible. <laughs> Woo, that's good. I could preach right there, but we ain't got enough fried chicken here this morning. Our word dynamite comes from the biblical word Holy Spirit. When dynamite shows up, boom, things happen, right? When we get out here on the 4th of July and we celebrate, and those things, you're not going to have to ask, man, what, what was that? Was that a firework? What was that? No, you're going to know. You're going to know. And it's just the same as the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit shows up, you don't have to ask, what was that? You're going to know. Because things change. The attention of people change. Things change. So when the Holy Spirit shows up, boom, you're going to know. You're going to know. Oh, my goodness. 
God's doing something over here and God's doing something in that marriage and God's doing something in that family and God's doing something in this church and God's doing something in this community. People are going to have to ask, what's going on? No, the Holy Spirit has shown up, has grabbed the attention of a community, has grabbed the attention of people and we will know when the Holy Spirit is ready to do what he said he wants to do at Elm Grove Community Church. Well, no. We're not going to say, what was that? Well, Pastor Earl would just, I guess he had a good breakfast. He went rolling right down the front pews. No, we're going to know the Holy Spirit is here. Come on, somebody. Now, the Christian life is about that power, that God-given power. But you need to be careful with this because apart from Jesus, apart from, from Luke, Apart from reading that and knowing the life of Jesus, we misunderstand and misuse this power. Oh, I need another bucket of chicken. We misuse this power. And everyone in here, probably ha- you're, you're, you can probably think of things. and th- Man, uh, can I be real with you? Back in my earlier days, especially when I was a youth pastor, like 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, going around praying for people. Man, I remember, you know, my goal was to get them down. That was my goal. And pray for them and then push and push and push and push and push. Man, they're flexible. Get down. You know? How many have ever been prayed like that, prayed for like that? You know? You're just sitting there. You know? You know what I'm talking about? And what happens, what, what, is, what has happened is, is, is a lot, not a lot, but some have misused the power of the Holy Spirit and misunderstood it. And so that's created a lot of skepticism and rejection in the world and even in the church because we misunderstood or we misused it. And now I realize, can I just be real with you? The Holy Spirit was not sent to put people down. The Holy Spirit was sent to get people up and get them going. (laughs) Oh, come on, somebody. Now we're getting all traditional on me. We're getting quiet in this Methodist church. The Holy Spirit. Now, we probably all have have times where we can't stand in the presence and the power of God. Where you just got to fall to your knees or or you got to fall on your face. Nothing wrong with that. I understand that. But that's not the goal. (laughs) The goal is not to bring you up here today and say, hey, everybody come forward. I'm going to pray with you, and I hope you go down in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, I hope you get up and go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why he, oh, come on. That's why he's here. And so Luke says, you've got to read my first book first so that you know not, the question is not how should we use the power of the Holy Spirit. The question is how did Jesus use the power of the Holy Spirit? And then go and do likewise. Okay? Read my former book. Are you with me? Almost done. I'm wrapping up right now. You cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. And so that's what Luke, he's talking to us about. Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lived without sin. He died for our sin. He rises for our sin. He evidences it for 40 days. He tells his people, don't go do men. Don't, 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 don't go yet. Don't go yet. Wait. You're going to need power. And the Holy Spirit's coming to cause you not to be all crazy, 
The Holy Spirit's coming to cause you to be like me. Come on. That's why the former book and the latter book, Luke and Acts, go together. Because until you understand how the Holy Spirit used the life of Jesus, God the Son, then we won't understand how the Holy Spirit wants to use the life of you and use the life of me. Come on. So, earlier on in his ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, I'm wrapping up. This is my second closing, I got one more, you know that. Jesus is in a synagogue, and he opens the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news and to set the captives free. And then he closed the book, and he said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Isaiah wrote that 700 years prior. And he said, there's one coming after me. The Spirit of the Lord will reside on him so that he can preach good news and set the captives free from sin and death. And Jesus says, I'm here. (laughs) That's me. What Isaiah was talking about, that's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, Elm Grove, that is either true or that's one of the most arrogant statements ever uttered in the history of the world. It's either true or it's one of the most arrogant statements uttered in the history of this planet. I think we're here because we believe it was true. That the Spirit of the Lord was truly upon him, and he had been sent to die. He had been sent to rise. He had been sent to ascend. He had been, and he's coming back to descend and to get us again. Amen? Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was filled by the Spirit. He suffered by the Spirit. He persevered by the Spirit. He loved by the Spirit. He engaged in spiritual conflicts with demonic realm by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed in the Spirit. He trained leaders by the Spirit. He honored his mom and dad as he grew up by the power of the Holy Spirit. He humbly, for the first 30 years of his life, he took a job as a carpenter, humbly serving underneath his father, obscurely serving in a small town, all that in a poor family, all that by the power of the Holy Spirit and he died still filled with the Holy Spirit so hear this to be spirit filled is not to avoid suffering but to suffer well oh aren't you glad you come to church today to be filled with the Holy Spirit because we, we, we think, well, if you just get filled with the Holy Spirit, you can avoid all these issues in your life. You can avoid all these problems in your life. You don't have to walk through what everyone else is walking through. You don't have to go through the, the hurt and the pain and the frustration that everybody else has to go through. Just get filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it takes care of everything. No, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't cause us to avoid suffering. It causes us to suffer well. Jesus lived his life well. He did it well. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will not get you around suffering. Sometimes he will get you through suffering. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. That was the case for Christ. That's our case as well. In Jesus, we read elsewhere in the New Testament, he was raised from from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say this, and I close with this. That's my third closing. You know I'm done. And that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
Come on. Dwells in your neighbor? Possibly. Dwells only in Jerusalem? No. Hey, where's Assembly God? Dwells in Springfield? No. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in those who give an exorbitant amount in the offering? You're right. No, no. How's it dwell? How's he dwell? He dwells in you. He dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Today we're just setting we're just setting the stage for this study. Setting the stage for the rest of these messages. I wanted you to know what Luke and Acts and how these go together. I wanted you to know that Acts is not just about the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is all through Acts, and you can't understand the Holy Spirit unless you understand the life of Jesus. You can't understand. And so we got to know how the Holy Spirit lived through Jesus, and we got to know how the Holy Spirit in that wants to live through us. And that's what all this series is about. It's going to be good. This will be the most boring message that you have to endure through this whole sermon, (laughs) through this whole series. Because we're just setting the stage today. I I, I I want you walking out of here knowing that it's about, it's not just about the power of Christ. It's about the life of Christ. And we can't experience the power in the right way unless we understand his life in the right way. And we're going to get there through this series. Amen? Oh, it's going to be good. Stand to your feet. Turn to your neighbor. Wake them up. Stretch a little bit. Do one of these. Do one of these. Hit them in the head. Do whatever you got to do. But that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Dwells in you. Dwells in you. What was Jesus able to do? Well, he was able to pray for the sick and they'd recover. He touched blinded eyes and blinded eyes were open. He touched withered limbs and the withered limbs were restored. A couple of few occasions, he even brought the dead back to life again. People say that when he called Lazarus out, that's why he had to call Lazarus and not just say, come forth, because if he just said, come forth, every grave would have busted open. He took a Happy Meal, fish au filet, Happy Meal, McFish, whatever they call it now. I know it wasn't a McRib, was it, Marilyn? It was not that. But he took a filet of fish meal, and he fed over 5,000 men. Probably thirty-five to 40,000 people total. Two fish and five loaves of bread. The storms were raging. He spoke and he said, peace, be still. And he calmed the water. He was there. But he was also there to grieve and to weep with Mary and Martha as they lost Lazarus. He didn't immediately make it better. He weeped with them at first. Because sometimes... We don't get around it, but we have the power to get through it. That's why the Holy Spirit's here. Not to get us around everything, 
but to get us through everything, to get us through the storm. As you look around everyone here today, you understand there's wisdom in this place. Everybody here understands as Christians, we're not immune to the cares and trials and worries of this world. We're not just floating like an eagle above it all and saying, oh, poor people down there, they have to go through all this stuff. No, we have to pay taxes too, right? We have to go through some junk too. We have to go through phone calls late at night that we weren't expecting. We have to go through doctor's reports that we weren't even prepared for, didn't even know it was coming. We have to go through times when people turn on us and we have to go through times when people walk out on us. We're not immune to it, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through it, to get us through it. And so throughout this series, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're facing, we're going to get through it, and we're going to get through it together because we're a church together, and we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit in this place. Amen? Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to come together for a time of communion. We want you to know you don't have to be a member of Elm Grove Community Church. You don't have to be a member of the Assemblies of God. You just got to be a member of the body of Christ. So if you've invited Jesus into your heart and life, we want to have an opportunity this morning to gather around the front and to experience this, the, the Lord's Supper together as a family.